Amen. Amen. My, my name is Marv Nelson, and I am the lead pastor here at the church. And let me just say one more time, welcome. I am just so excited. I've been looking forward to this all week to have this beautiful Sunday together with you as we celebrate the risen Lord. And what's beautiful about this whole idea of resurrection is that it's all things are new. All things are made new because of the resurrection. And we're going to look at what the resurrection means for you and for me. And we're going to go after it with excitement and passion. If you're new here, I, I'm, I'm an energetic guy. Just so you know, I love to preach with passion. I love the Bible, and I just I have a lot of energies, just so you know. Just giving you a warning. Well, let's pray, and we will jump right into the Word of God. We are excited. We are excited. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the empty tomb. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that we will hear your words from your book. Father, that you will set me aside so that you can come forward and speak directly through me and to us. Father, may the word of God pierce our hearts with truth. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal the truth to us. In your name, amen. Amen. Have you ever heard a story that just absolutely seemed impossible to happen? You see, my wife, when she was hanging out with her youth pastor and he would tell kinds of crazy stories, she never believed that these stories were true. And then she became my wife. (laughs) And then she realized that these stories actually can happen to people. And one such story that I I had in my life that I, I look at and I say, if I wasn't there, I would never, ever believe this story. Well, one day I was driving with a group of friends from New York uh, back to where we were, from New York City, back to where we were at Nyack. We went to Nyack College, had a bunch of college friends with us, and we had just crossed the George Washington Bridge, and we were heading on to the Garden State Parkway, and I was going a little bit fast, and Hillary said, you need to slow down. That's usually a conversation that happens when I'm driving. <laughs> she said, you need to slow down, otherwise you're going to get pulled over. I'm like, I'm not going to get pulled over, but I'll slow down. Five seconds later, I get pulled over by an undercover cop car. Didn't even see it, didn't even know it was there. They pull me over, and they begin to interrogate me, and they say, sir, you need to get out of the car. And they, they, they are undercover cops. They're not wearing their normal police uniforms. And they begin to interrogate me. Where are the drugs? What drugs? Like the drugs you have in your car, where are they? We know that you have them. We have dogs at exit one, and we're going to search your entire car. Where are the drugs? I said, officer, I, I don't do drugs. I don't have any drugs. He said, well, what about the people in your car? I bet you they got something in their pockets. I said, no. We're all going back to Nyack College. We're all studying to be in ministry. And I said, officer, I'm studying to be a youth pastor. I work with kids. And, and he gets in my face. There was two of them. There's a kind one and not a kind one. And he gets in my face and he said, okay, now I know something's up because you just said you're a youth master. What's this master of youth thing that you're talking about? I was really scared because I thought, what is he saying? And his cop friend said, stop interrogating. He said he's a youth pastor. Get him in the car and let him go home. And so I got in the car and we drove home and I was shaking the whole way home because I had no idea what had just happened. Right? I look at that story and I think if someone told me that story, I would completely not believe them. 
Because that, that's just audacious. It's crazy. But you know what? We have an even more audacious and crazy story to tell. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that someone who had been completely destroyed physically and dead and buried in a tomb three days later came back to life. That's a crazy story. Now, that's one of those ones where you kind of have to say, I wish I were there to see that, right? But today we're going to look at the reality that the resurrection of Jesus is the hinge upon which all of Christianity rests. The resurrection is vitally important to the Christian faith. It is absolutely necessary for the Christian faith. It is the most important hinge that you and I, if we believe in Jesus Christ, that we hold to, that Jesus rose from the dead. It's important for us to understand that this story is both audacious but true. But we live in a very skeptical society, don't we? It's hard to believe that someone could rise from the dead. It's a difficult thought process to say, wow, someone who is dead can become alive. But listen, an entire movement was developed based off of this idea. The Christian faith, which began over 2,000 years ago with a couple of weaklings, became the most powerful, largest movement in the entirety of history. So there's got to be something to this resurrection. There's got to be something that is true. It's got to be a reality. In fact, a guy named N.T. Wright, if you ever want to study the resurrection of Jesus, read N.T. Wright. He talks about it all of the time, and he has a book that's almost a thousand pages long if you want to read it. It's there for you. (laughs) Many of you are like, well, I I might not read that. But here's a quote that starts off the premise of his thousand-page book. He says this, I and others have studied quite extensively all of the alternative explanations, ancient and modern, for the rise of the early church and the shape of its belief. Far and away the best historical explanation is that Jesus of Nazareth, having been thoroughly dead and buried, really was raised to life on the third day with a renewed body. Thoroughly believe, after studying for years and years and years, all of the different theories of how Jesus didn't rise from the dead or how Jesus didn't actually die. He says, after studying all of that, the only conclusion that I can come to with the birth of the church is that he actually rose. Why would people die for a lie? They just wouldn't. But we do live, as I said again, in a skeptical society. Many people might say, okay, well, Jesus raised from the dead. Let's just say that that's true. What is, what is that to me? What good is the resurrection for me? Why is it important? Why is it the keystone of the Christian faith? What good is the resurrection? And so this morning, rather than trying to take an entire sermon of proving to you that the resurrection happened, I'm going to share with you and say it has happened And here's why it's good for you and for me. Here's the power that it brings to your life and to my life. And if you have doubts or you don't believe it, man, my prayer is that after this you will see that you need it. Because the resurrection is imperative. We're going to be looking at the book of John. At church, we've been doing the book of John for probably the past four or five months. And we've been digging into this book and unpacking what God is saying. And today we're going to look at three different glimpses of the resurrected Jesus. 
We're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, and then we're going to move over to John 21, 15 through 19. The words will be on the screen as well. If you'd follow along with me, I'll start with John 20, 19 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now verse chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Powerful glimpses of the resurrection of Jesus. So what good is the resurrection? As we unpack these stories, I believe the first thing that we can see is that in the resurrection, hope is renewed. In the resurrection, hope is renewed. Just look at that passage where the disciples are, are mentioned. Jesus had just died there, there was a woman that had said that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they didn't necessarily believe it because they were behind locked doors. When you're behind locked doors, you're expecting someone to break in. You're trying to keep people out. You're trying to keep yourselves in and safe. And these guys, these disciples were scared. They had no idea what was going on. They were fearful. They were just in this desperate moment of trying to hide away and not be found. They were scared. They were out of their minds scared. And then something even freakier happens. Jesus appears out of nowhere. Right in front of them. Now, 
Those guys were excited. It says he was, they were glad to see him, but I think I would have fallen over a little bit in terror. Because this, this Jesus who I watched die now is just randomly appearing in front of me. And the doors were locked. How did he do it? But we see the response of the disciples. It filled them with a renewed hope. Jesus' appearance renewed the hope of these hopeless disciples. They had lost hope. If you remember from the story of them in the garden, Jesus begged them to pray. He said, pray with me. Pray with me. I need you. And when the soldiers came, they scattered. They left. The moment that Jesus needed his disciples the most, they ran away in terror. And their fear never left them until they saw the resurrected Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment that they were in this room with locked doors and they're saying everything we spent our entire life for was a sham. The last three and a half years, where did it go? Why did we do it? What good is a dead Messiah? This makes absolutely no sense. Why, why did we do it? And they were commiserating together and this story of Jesus being resurrected probably brought more fear. They're, we're going to get killed because they might think that we stole the body. We've got to hide. We've got to lock the doors. You see, but when Jesus appeared, something changed in the disciples. Something changed in the disciples. His appearance renewed their, their hope. They had lost hope. Imagine losing all hope, all thought of living the next day, all thought of seeing what God said you were going to see, but losing the ability to see it. And then in that moment, seeing the person who was your hope, alive and there before you. Listen, you might look at that and say, okay, what good is that for me? We see the, the hopeless disciples receive hope, but the reality of the gospel, the truth of the resurrection, is that it renews our hope as well. In the resurrection, you and I can have renewed hope because if he can defeat Satan, sin, and death, there is nothing in your life that he can't handle. There's absolutely nothing in your life that he can't handle. All the hopeless areas of your life that you may find yourself in right now can be brought into a place of hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if he can rise from the dead, what else? What else is there to prove? What else is there that he would have to do in order to show you that we don't have to focus on circumstances of life, we just need to focus on the one who is life? He told his disciples early on, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The lights didn't go on until they saw him there alive before them. And then the lights went on and everything that Jesus said that confused them actually made a lot of sense. <laughs> it was a good moment for them. They understood what was happening. These cowards, listen, they were cowards. Have you ever seen someone and you're like, wow, that person just has no courage? These cowards became wonderful preachers of the gospel. These cowards, even in chapter 21, we see that, that uh, Peter, rather, was willing to die for his faith, that he was going to be martyred for his faith. Paul would later say that 500 people at the same time saw the risen Jesus. It started a movement. The resurrection of Jesus started a movement that could not be stopped. That's why they were afraid of the Jews. They knew that the Jews were going to be against them. 
How much more were they going to be against them when they started preaching the news again? When they went out and shared Jesus, but they didn't care anymore. Their hope was renewed. Their passion was renewed. And people came to know Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about the idea of the resurrection. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I saw the risen Jesus, and this guy over here did too, and all these other people did, you're probably going to say, okay, well, I'm going to ask them that question. 500 people at the same time can't hallucinate the same hallucination. They were proving by their very words, you need to go check it out. If you don't believe me, go ask one of those witnesses. It's a real thing. We also see in the story of Thomas that in the resurrection, faith comes in the ashes of doubt. Faith comes in the ashes of doubt. Thomas, who was not there with the disciples in that first locked room, is in the room with the disciples and says, I will never believe you. Never. It's impossible. This can't happen. You all were doing something. You were smoking something or something because you all had the same hallucination and this just can't be real. This is not possible. I will never believe until I touch the nail holes and touch his side. Never. Well, eight days later, Jesus, knowing what Thomas had said, shows up. Again, there's a locked door and he randomly pops up. And he looks at Thomas and he says, all right, go ahead. Stick your hands in. Put your hand right here. And then Thomas falls down. My Lord, my God. Now, if you were to look at that in the Greek, it is so emphatic. It is so powerful that if I were to yell as loud as he yelled, you'd probably have to cover your ears. Because his mind was just blown with the reality that Jesus not only would show up, but that Jesus would know what he needed and ask him to do it. In the midst of that moment, all of his doubt, which was on the ground as ashes, became faith. A deep, true, honest, powerful faith. I imagine the, 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 the Phoenix, which is a poem by Hans Christian Andersen. That story of the phoenix dying and wilting and there's ash. But then out of the dust, out of the ashes comes life. This is exactly what happens with our faith when we understand and believe and trust in and own the resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing in your life that he cannot handle. There is nothing in your life that he cannot deal with. He is the living God. Again, for, for Thomas, the lights came on. Something made sense. He understood it. He caught it. He recognized it. One of the greatest proof points of the resurrection, as we've said already, is the birth of the church. The church would not have been birthed if the resurrection did not happen. Because those cowards never would have left the locked room. They probably would have died together in a locked room because they were so fearful. So what does this mean for us when we see faith come out of the ashes of doubt? Well, you and I, we doubt as well. And many times I think we're afraid to share our doubts for fear that we might not look like good Christians or for fear that we might say, well, I doubt how could God love me? I have all these doubts and all these questions. Can it really be that, that God would, would really deal with my doubts? Sadly, there's a story in the, in the life of Steve Jobs, the uh, founder and developer of Apple. 
where he was at a church and he went up to uh, his priest and he said, okay, I have all of this National Geographic information of all these people who are dying. How can God allow that to happen? Instead of taking a teachable moment, instead of sitting down with Steve Jobs and saying, let's have a discussion, let's walk through this, the priest said, you just got to have faith, boy. Steve Jobs never, never went to a church again. Never. Because he felt like his doubts were, were just taking him away from real belief. That his doubts could not be dealt with. That his doubts could not be handled. And so he walked away and he never looked back. But the reality of the gospel is that Jesus is not intimidated by our doubts. In fact, he defeats them. He's not intimidated by your doubts. He defeats them. He destroys them. He beats them. And he's not scared if you're going to ask questions of doubt. How can this be true? How can it be real? He'll prove himself over and over and over and over again. An entire movement was birthed out of the truth of the resurrection. Only his actual living can destroy our doubts. If he were dead, everything that Christians believe would be nothing. If Jesus remained in that tomb, the entirety of Christianity would be a joke. In fact, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Those are some strong words. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, everybody in the world should feel bad for Christians because they're believing a lie. And that's one of the reasons why so many historians who are not believers seek to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. They seek to say, this, this is impossible, it didn't happen. And they come up with all kinds of different, different destroying words about it. They keep trying to say it couldn't be possible. But if you understand military terms, they're just straw men. Straw men are those things on a hill that look intimidating but are not. In the military, there was a, I don't remember when it specifically happened, I believe it was in the Civil War, where there was a battle that was going on, and one team was up on the mountain, and they said, well, we don't have enough men, they have tons of men down there. So they made straw men and put, uh, put uniforms upon them, so that when the army marched and they saw all these uniforms up on the mountain, they didn't go after them. It was a defense that if you came close to it, you would see, you could just knock it over. If you really look close at all of those arguments against the resurrection, they are simply straw men. They cannot hold their own weight. See, the resurrection is real. The resurrection is true. The resurrection is real for you and for me. We do not have to fear doubting. We can ask those questions and we can dig deeply into it as N.T. Wright himself did. There have been many atheist historians and atheist scientists who have said, I'm going to go and disprove the resurrection, but when they found out it was true, they believed. This has happened time 
And time again, Jesus is not intimidated by our doubts. The next thing that we can see in the story of John is that in the resurrection, full restoration is a reality. Full restoration is a reality. Listen, if you look at Peter in the the book of John and you look at Peter's life throughout the Gospels, you'll recognize that even after seeing the risen Christ, he was still living and walking in the shame of his denials of Jesus. He was still living in the shame of his denials of Jesus even after seeing the risen Christ. Rather than stepping out and beginning to tell people about the risen Jesus, he went back to what he knew. And he told his buddies, he said, guys, let's go fishing. I just, let's go fishing. I can't, I just can't. So his buddies went with him. And as they were fishing, they didn't catch anything. And for a fisherman, that's even more shameful. Because he was a pro, he should have been able to do it. But then when one of the disciples said, look, there's Jesus on the shore to try and prove that he was still the best disciple. Because remember, if you remember at the table when Jesus said someone was going to betray him, he said, never I. I would die for you, Jesus. Woo, I'd lay it all down on the line and they can sacrifice me for you. But then when it came down to the line, when it came down to the test, he failed three times. Three times. And even once it was to a little girl who said, aren't you with Jesus? Nope, I don't know. So he was living and walking in the shame, but when he knew that Jesus was on the shore, he jumped out. He was still trying to prove himself, saying, I can do it. I need to be the favorite. I'm going to go after him. And then he had a conversation with Jesus that was a really rough one, but a really good one at the same time. Jesus said to him three times, do you love me? Erasing each denial. The shame of Peter was lifted in that moment. Peter became the loudest voice in the beginning of the church. Peter became the rock that the church was built upon. Peter's shame had been erased, and so he could move in the power that Jesus had given him. He could move in the power of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts 1.8 fell upon the disciples because his shame was gone. My friends, shame and pain need to be dealt with, not ignored. You and I in our lives can live under a heavy weight, a heavy burden of shame. And the enemy of our souls loves to keep the weight of shame upon us. Where he says to to us things like, well, you've done such terrible things, God could never love you. We feel the shame of our sin. We feel the weight of the pain of the past of our life and say, what I've been through, what's happened to me, I could never come to God. I could never truly be healed. I could never walk away from this and and be accepted and loved. If, If people really found out who I was, they would push me away. And so the truth of the matter is that God would do the very same thing. But listen, Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Jesus knew what Peter did. And then he wiped away his shame, eating some fish on a beach. The same is true for you and for me. 
If Jesus can rise from the dead, there is no shame, there is no sin, there is no past issue in your life that cannot be covered by him. There is no sin in your life that cannot be expunged, purified, washed clean, gone by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing in your life that can stop Jesus from delivering you away from the shame and the weight of the lies of the enemy. That's why I love this story of, of, of Peter that John gives us, because he found full restoration. But we need to allow God to deal with our shame. We need to be honest with our shame. We need to be upfront and say, God, I have this in my life, and I need you to free me and heal me from it just like you did Peter. And he will. That is one of those prayers that Jesus loves to answer. He loves to cover us clean, to wash us clean from our sins, to take them away from us and to wipe away our shame. He loves that prayer and he loves to do that for you and for me. We can be fully restored. If Jesus can defeat death, he can defeat your brokenness. In life, each and every one of us, we have brokenness that happens in our lives. We have brokenness that is in our past. We have brokenness that is in our present. And because we live among humans, there will be brokenness in our future. But the truth of the matter is, is that because he defeated death, there is no brokenness in your life that he cannot handle. And that's where we have to trust and believe And we have to allow the ashes of doubt to bring us to the place of faith where we look at the resurrection of Jesus and say, the resurrection is good for me because he can renew me and make all things new. Amen. He can make all things new. All things are made new in the resurrection You see, Jesus didn't have to prove anything else with Peter. He didn't have to do what he did for Peter, yet he did it. You see, he had risen from the dead. He should have looked at Peter and said, just suck it up, cowboy. Come on, let's keep going. Don't worry about that. Let's go. We got a thing to do. I'm going to leave and you're in charge. You're the rock. But no, he stepped down into that moment and he rested and he sat by the fire eating some fish with Peter And he freed him from his brokenness. And he'll do the same exact thing for you. The beautiful thing about the resurrection as well as we say all things are made new. In fact, creation itself was restored the moment Christ rose from the grave. It's not just our hearts and our lives. All of creation was set back into motion to be restored, to make all things new. We see that creation is broken. We see how all around us the different things that are happening, earthquakes, tornadoes, all of that is due to the fall of man. But God is reversing it because Jesus rose again. Because death was defeated. Death has no more power. We don't have to fear death because we know that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord if we believe in him. If we believe that he died for our sins and he rose again from the grave, we can have certainty that when we are absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord. Man, that is powerful truth. 
If you don't get excited about that, I don't know what else is to get excited about. Because that is powerful reality that someone who was dead rose again to prove that he was God. That everything he said he was going to do, he did. And the resurrection said, signed, sealed, and delivered. Done. I have nothing else to say. I am God, like I said, and now I've won. That's pretty powerful. Like that song that we sang, death has died. Sin has died, but love is alive. Love is alive. I don't know if you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, but he has some great words to talk about the resurrection of Jesus when he talks about the resurrection of Aslan. And he says this, Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. If she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Man, that's powerful stuff. Death is defeated. Time begins to work backward where all things are made new. Because listen, you and I, we are the traitors that Jesus replaced. Because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of all the things that we have done and will do and are doing, Jesus died on the cross. But what that means is is that those things are expunged by the blood of Jesus. And the resurrection proves that that is true. You see, the American church, I think, has lost the, the sense of awe that the resurrection brings. Many times we just say, oh, yeah, the resurrection happened. But, man, it is celebration. I want you to go home and eat food and say, hallelujah, because he is risen. It's one of those things where we should all just be dancing a jig today when we go outside because the reality of the gospel is that he rose from the dead, that death does not have a sting anymore. Man, I could just preach that all day. It's not a weak message, it's a powerful one. If an entire movement, the largest movement in the entirety of the world, can begun, was begun because of the resurrection, what else can there be done in your life? What new life can God breathe into you? Do not allow the enemy to lie as if it didn't happen or if it means nothing. The resurrection is good because it changes everything and everything can be made new in your life. Because the resurrection makes all things new and dead people alive. Are there areas of deadness in your life? God can breathe life into them because of the resurrection. Now we we change the order of service a little bit because I want us to end with singing. I want us to end with worship. I want us to go out of this place celebrating Jesus where usually we sing the songs in the beginning. We're going to leave singing the songs. And I want us to shout and loud, be excited because now we're pumped up. Hopefully you're pumped up. If I didn't pump you up, then I, I, I failed my job. <laughs> I want us to be excited about what God has done, that new life can happen, that you can be raised from the dead, that the areas of brokenness in your life can be made new. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, we love you. Man, that is good news that you rose again from the grave. You conquered Satan, sin, and death. You put the sign, the seal, and it was delivered because of the resurrection. 
Father, I pray that our hope will be renewed. I pray that our brokenness will be made new. That the deadness in our life can be made alive today. And Father, I pray that if there are those that don't know you in this room, that they will begin to ask questions or that they'll begin to pursue you or that they'll pray today asking for the resurrection life. For you are good. You're good. And you are alive. Amen.